says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, joining me to break down another week of news for the NRL and the Parramatta Eels and my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, tough loss for the Eels last week, but we pick ourselves up and get back into it. This time armed with a couple of, uh, or three, big-time players coming back into the fold. Uh, But how are you boys doing this week as we talk about news and what, news and more, I suppose? Well, mate. As you know, it wasn't the best night to be out at the football last Saturday night. We had that, uh, the duty, let's say, the duty to be over in the Leagues Club, Parramatta Leagues Club, (laughs) home of the Eagles, doing our instant reaction podcast. And we were greeted with a full house up in Jack's Bar and Grill. And then uh, I thought Brett Kenny was outstanding in his chat with us up in uh, Jack's and um, you know it sort of helped I thought a little bit you know it was it was a, a a decent finish a good finish to the to what was a tough day of watching football with both the New South Wales Cup and the NRL teams both getting a bit of a hammering out there on Combank Stadium so yeah look not I'm looking forward now to moving ahead with the rest of the season and having as close as possible to a full-strength Eels team from here on in, fellas. And, Clint, how you doing, mate? Yeah, look, a, a little bit weird. Um, you know, I've, I, I think I was asking um, everyone that's, that, that sits within close proximity to us whether that was our biggest loss at Combank since we, um, since we opened the doors in 2019. I think we landed that it, it, in terms of... Um, the the, um, the losing margin, I think it it, it might be, but um, I feel strangely okay about it, and this is probably the only time that I will because, um, well, that any of us will because of um, obviously how affected we were by Origin coming up against a team that was at near full strength and and in pretty decent form. So yeah, I, 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 it's a bit of a weird thing to 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 answer how you're feeling after losing by um, thirty six points and. Conceding 46 at home and going, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but you know, the combination of a few factors missing some seriously important players to the team, and then I think a couple of our depth guys who have been fantastic for about six weeks now, sort of maybe hitting a bit of a wall there too. Uh, and the fact that the Warriors are also just an outstanding team this year, so a whole set of factors there contributing to why we had the big loss at home. Uh, but before we do get into any more discussions about the Eels game last week or NRL news. Quick shout-out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narowan, and Parramatta, bringing you guys the podcast each and every episode. Uh, But now, boys, let's start talking some footy and some news. News team, assemble! Well, fellas, let's start off with where we were just, what we were just chatting about then. Our final takes from the Warriors game. I just want to say a couple of things just to start off before I throw it over to you two, fellas. First of all, 
the part that wasn't good, obviously, was the defence and a bit of a maybe a, not quite the right attitude in around the ruck, especially the, the Warriors really caught us out in behind the ruck. And then on the other side of the coin with those players that are being out, we didn't ask any questions in attack. If you don't ask questions in attack, you're not going to be tiring out the other team with having to do a lot of defensive work. As a consequence, that gave the Warriors plenty of energy for their own attack, and it just became a bit of a vicious cycle. So I think it was as much to do with us being down in firepower in attack as it was not being in the best mental state maybe when it came to defence. So that's my final take, and I'm just prepared and ready to move on from there. Uh, Clint, what's your final take on it? Yeah, much the same, 60s. I mean, the 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 uh, missing firepower there, well-documented, well-known, and I don't think any of us were expecting, you know, well, let's consider this, our first-choice spine going into 2023 um, was unavailable. Um, for various reasons, this game. So, you know, uh, I think we put the, um, to, to most fans the team list so that took um, took the field last weekend. You know, m- most fans uh, at the beginning of the year, most fans would go, well, that's a side that's going to struggle to win a game. And, you know, the the disappointing part from my end is that, um, and you touched on it with the, the, the defence and around the ruck there, that was the controllable I was looking for us to manage well, and we just didn't. And you know, maybe maybe to um, some of Forty's comments um, um, earlier, it might just be some of those um, relief guys just running out a bit of puff after um, you know six six or so weeks in first grade, um, and and that's the difference between um, to being a consistent first grader and being in and out of first grade is that you you're able to take advantage and 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 I guess take your opportunities every single week. So. You know, um, some things to work on, and um, well, we'll get into the team list a little bit later. But um, you know, we just we just kind of cop it on the chin, and unfortunately, we're the victim of um, a multitude of circumstances that led to this um, scenario. So uh, let's hope that in the future we actually do have a buy uh, in an Origin affected game moving <laughs> forward. Yeah, that'd be that would be nice. Forty, anything you want to add to these final takes? Yeah, look. You don't want to try and absolve responsibility in a loss like that, uh, but given the fact that there were significant mitigating factors for the team, um, and look, there's in the team review, when they're going to do, sit down and do that, which I would have done already, so in the past tense when they sat down and did it, um, they're obviously going to be critical of areas where we were lacking. Um, you pointed out 60s in behind the ruck, we were very weak uh, defensively, so that's obviously going to be a key point of emphasis for the uh, training to come out of it, but... The Warriors played great football. Uh, we, you know, we saw a game where, in against Manly, we dominated possession and territory, and we could execute uh, a game plan without you know real strong uh, playmakers. And even then, we had Quinton Gufferson in the team uh, against the Warriors, who are markedly better than Manly right now. Having no seven, uh, and Dejan Arce, look, he's doing a great job, but he's not Mitchell Moses, so no seven in that regard. No fullback, our number two dummy half. Uh, and, and, you know, no Dylan Brown there as well. So like you said, Quint, missing the entire starting spine from round one, um, you know, we, we saw what happens when you don't have the ability to convert your opportunities into points, and the Warriors are able to absorb the pressure, flip the field, and go on and score. And that's what good teams do. 
and you know good teams with good players in them, and we just didn't have our our great our great players in those spots. So yeah, like I said, you don't want to try and absolve responsibility in this game, but it is what it is. I'm the strength up against a good team. Didn't play our best football, and that's probably where we should let it lie. We're going to be better than that, and we need to be better than that. And yeah, it sucks to drop that game in the context of the seeding for the top eight. Uh, it was actually a significant game uh, that might come back to bite us on the backside, but. That was the hand that we all dealt because of that, you know, whole origin no bison uh, scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Now today, we saw Dylan Brown front the media for the first time since the much publicised incident, court case, suspension. Now, just before we talk in a little bit more depth, I just have a quick thought on this. First of all. Dylan Brown is probably going to, when he returns to the game, have a certain amount of media attention. I think today putting him in front of the media when uh, the Eels had made their final decision as well about what is going to happen in terms of his education, an additional fine, that sort of thing, uh, having him front the media now might just take a little bit of pressure off what happens down the track and it does you know i thought i thought it gave him a chance to express in a way that wasn't anything to do with a constructed club statement his remorse about what happened in a i guess in in what looked to be a very very genuine way uh 40 what's your thoughts on that well one thing that we unified and unanimous in saying in the wake of him being found guilty of that charge, was he needs to own it. He needs to own it, become a better person. And we saw, uh, you know, the well-prepared PR statement from the club that was written for him. And then we saw on Instagram what felt like a more personalised response, both of which were very, you know, very well written. But like you said, get him in front of the cameras and give him a chance away from any sort of script or, or prompt to, you know, own up to what he did was good. And, you know, looking at it, it was definitely emotional and he, and it felt like there was some gravity he understood the gravity rather of his actions and how much he you know uh, messed up for the indi- other indi- other individual involved and letting both the team and the club down and yeah I, I think it was good to get him out you know and, and kind of like you know putting mold into sunlight uh, do it sooner rather than later rather than let it fester away and and shield him from the responsibility of his own actions so yeah I think that was the right move and I think uh, there, there was some genuine contrition uh, in a you know the the right amount of genuine tradition from him for making that mistake. Yeah, Clint, wholeheartedly agree with um with forty sentiments there, and you know um very well handled um from our club. I think we should um you know all all um be pretty happy with the way that our, that our clubs handled this and in choosing to get Dylan in front of the camera today and and to to, to t- uh, tackle it head on. You know, it, it it it's a, that accountability piece of anyone making any mistake in any aspect of their life. You know, we all respect people who can put their hand up and, and front up and, and, and take accountability for their mistakes, whatever they might be. And, you know, um, I think it was really good on the club, club's behalf and, and Dylan's behalf that he did that. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, it, it, those questions were always going to come. So, you know, why not tackle it head on? And, you know, I'm, I'm happy with, um, with the way that the, um, the interview um, panned out as well because we we, we saw um, all the genuineness and 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 authenticity 
from Dylan in, in, in his remorse. And, you know, I don't think anyone who watched that interview can go, uh, can lean on or say, you know, this is, this is just standard rugby league PR. You know, this is, this is an individual who, who has real remorse for his actions, you know, and hopefully, um, you know, everyone now has the opportunity to move forward, given that the, the legal proceedings have taken place and finished the um, NRL's punishment has come in uh, the club's own punishment and um, um, has, has, has come in. So, you know, um, the, 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 the next step is just getting is um, undertaking his um, uh, rehabilitative measures um, as set out by the club. And then likewise, uh, the pathway back to playing, which, you know, we anticipate will be against the dragons in round 23. Yeah. Okay. We now move from that sort of tough situation to the NRLW getting closer to their season launch. They had, well, the official season launch in terms of like a, a, a media, a public event as part of the match day against the Warriors and the NRLW players made their appearance out onto the field or up on the big screen as their names were announced. Uh, so that was that was great to see that recognition of the team there. But there was, of course, the trial match that was played out at Eric Tweedale Stadium, the old Granville Park, on Friday night. I was out there for the match. Uh, a lot of people were able to catch it on the live stream. But in saying that I was out there at the match, I was one of about probably 1,400, 1,500 people that were out there for the trial game. Great atmosphere, uh, good venue for the uh, stadium there. It's um, it's just that right size in terms of the stand and um, the proximity to the ground. And I think the girls have a new, a great new home base that they have there. For those who aren't aware, their dressing sheds there are for them only. There will be no other sporting team with access to the dressing sheds there other than the Eels. Everything inside there, their lockers, everything's branded in inside there with the Eels. It's uh, it's their home base there. So that's, that's fantastic from that regard. And of course, they had an 18-14 victory over the Dragons. Uh, John, you were, I know, watching it on the live stream. Mm. What was your overall takes of their performance? Yeah, I, I thought it was really gutsy. Um, I thought uh, it was a pretty high-quality game, re- respect to the fact that it was not only a trial, but their first ever proper trial. Um, so I thought both teams came in and played some good, tough football. Eels had the uh, early ascendancy in terms of territory and possession, but the Dragons defended well uh, and then were able to repel the Eels and capitalise on a few opportunities. But uh, I thought the Eels really settled into a rhythm. I thought the outside backs were uh, quite good, honestly. Um, I mean, Zali Faye with that really nice in and away to open up the scoring for the Eels. Mahalia Murphy was very strong at right centre, and Cassie Toi Hiku showed some real pace in the uh, second, third, I suppose, uh, of, of the three stanzas there. So really liked what the outside backs brought there. I thought the new recruits in Rachel Pearson and Elsie Albert were outstanding. Albert took on a huge workload. Uh, great physicality through the middle, some strong defense, really led the way for the Eels. And uh, we, we saw very quickly how important Pearson's kicking game is going to be for the Eels. She is an absolute game changer in that regard. She has probably got the best boot, uh, both clearing and attacking-wise, uh, in the competition, and she really controlled the territory battle in that regard. And then from the extended roster 60s, 
I mean, and I should have mentioned the Charrington sisters too. We brought a nice bit of fire to the uh, to a trial contest there. They looked really good. Uh, but yeah, in the extended roster, we saw raw talent that probably won't be ready for big, you know, stints in the NRLW right now. But some, you know, flashes of real promise. I mean, we we all have big raps on Rosie Beckett. Uh, she took a couple of sets to find her feel into the game, but looked really good after that. Um, and there were some big forwards and it did a good job. I think um, it might have been uh, Tyler Amiatu, the number 22, I thought put on some big hits in defense, uh, including a really big goal line stand. Um, but yeah, just across the park, there's some good talent there in the extended roster to work with. Yeah. Clint, anything you'd like to add from your observations? Yeah, look, I didn't see the game live, gents, um, uh, but I, 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 I certainly watched back and, you know, there's a lot of new players that have come into this side and it's exciting that um, our outside backs were able to put on the show and then likewise they were able to get a, a late winner there. You know, it's, it's certainly a good way to endear yourself as the, you know, and, and um, you touched on them being presented at, on, on game day against the Warriors, their 60s, you know, to really endear themselves to, um, to, to the Parramatta faithful because now that there's um, multi-year contracts, th- th- this is our team moving forward. So, you know, some of these new faces had a, an, an opportunity to endear themselves to the, the supporter base. And, gee, didn't they do that with a with a win like that? Just, you know, um, I wasn't quite a buzzer beater, but it was certainly a, a late try to steal it after, um, you know, establishing an early lead, losing that, gaining it back. Um, you know, those are the types, types of rugby league games that everyone remembers. And even if it's just a trial, you know, in terms of... Um, I guess uh, establishing an identity for yourself, um, and and as, as I said before, you know, with the supporter base, you know, it's it's an exciting victory, and you know, uh, and hopefully, a taste of things to come. Well, you talked about getting uh, winning over the supporter base. I can tell you, one thing that the NRLW team did was after they had a, a few words with the coaches back in the dressing sheds, they were out there mixing with the crowd. So they're having uh, photos, signing autographs, talking to the supporters that are there. They, they are. They were literally came out, and uh, no exaggeration. They were spread throughout the the stands there, um, talking to uh, supporters, to family, to friends, who, whoever was there. So, as far as a public relations exercise, the trial was an absolute winner. You know, there was plenty of smiles on faces. And as you said, with regard to the victory, a win wasn't essential there, but didn't hurt. (laughs) A lot of people (laughs) came away even happier. So, yeah, great start there. And just on that, um, Kennedy Charrington and Rachel Pearson have been appointed as co-captains for the season. It seems like a pretty straightforward decision, as Forty mentioned uh, we know what we're going to get with Kennedy. Kennedy's the absolute inspiration within the team. She is, she's almost like the energy barometer within the group. You And the thing is, you know that she's going to bring that passion of playing for the blue and gold. She loves Parramatta. She absolutely does. And Parramatta loves her back. They had a, a great um, presentation that they made, which... I uh, was able to share on Instagram of the framed Australian jersey that the Eels presented to her on Friday night. Um, there's just, you know, it's 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 a fit. It's a it's a perfect fit between her and the Eels. And as Forty mentioned as well with Rachel, 
she's going to be the real general out there on the field. And the way that the Eels benefited in that first 20 minutes of the trial with her kicking game, the Dragons could barely get out of their half. And that had a lot to do with the pinpoint kicking game, followed by a uh, you know really good kick chase and good good pressure that was put on defensively. So, um, fellas, anything more to say about the, them being appointed captains, or, or was you know, is it almost like a no brainer? Like yeah. they are, yeah, pretty they much. are the yeah. Look, you don't, yeah. you never get too far ahead of assumptions when you enter the early parts of the preseason. But the moment you saw Rachel Pearson being one of our top recruits alongside Kendi being you know, retained long-term, you just felt that they were the two building stone, corner, corner block building stones for the team moving forwards. And obviously, Elsie Albert's going to be a leader without the C next to her name in the forward pack. Uh, but in terms of the on-field generals, those two really jumped out straight away. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and a huge welcome to all of the new players that are that have become part of the... Parramatta Eels family. So um, moving on, um, wanted to mention that there was a team beside the NRLW that uh, got a win over the weekend, another Eels team, and that was the Jersey Flag team. They had a 24-18 to 18 victory over the Rabbitohs, who were above them on the table, and they reversed the results of earlier this season when the Rabbitohs got the spoils, um, I think... It was uh, 26-16. Was it a rabbit home game? Yeah, it was, it was that, it was that uh, uh, Botany? 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 What's the mascot? Mascot, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, very strong performance from the Eels. It was five tries to three. The Rabbitohs tries pretty much came from Eels' errors. So they probably could have even tidied it up a little bit more, but it was a... It was a big improvement on the previous match, which was a a loss that was um, somewhat disappointing against the uh, Tigers. And uh, this one, it turned it around. Um, Even even though they were missing Ethan Sanders, uh, Sam Tuavidi, Charlie Geimer, the fellas that uh, stepped up, did a tremendous job. Uh, we saw a little bit more of uh, Ethan Martin Scored a nice again try. in this one. That that was a, a, a really, uh, really top-notch try that he scored. You saw his evasiveness and his acceleration in that uh, solo try where he's, I mean, he's gone 30 metres in terms of getting the ball on 30-metre line, but it was an arcing run, which uh, and basically it was almost like it was the proverbial like having spiders on him. Because he just—it was like the none of the South Sydney players wanted to tackle him. So um, they're going to have a really tight run. Well, it's going to be tight for them to qualify for finals football. But they've had the least number of buys in the entire Jersey flag competition there. Um, and when you bring back in Ethan Sanders to play in the spine beside um, Josh Lynn, uh, Buds Arthur, who was – his his service was just incredible just to watch. If you get a, a chance to, to see any of that game, it, it was just – whether it was the short pass, the long pass, it was just in perfect position. And he uh, seemed to get his obligatory try 
as well. <laughs> he's, he, he he's just, had a nose for the Trilion jersey flag, hasn't he? Uh, incredibly so. Um, the interesting decision that's going to have to be made, and and I guess maybe it's going to be an easy one in the short term, is that uh, you'll probably have Arpert Twidel going back to fullback, and Ethan Martin will probably switch to wing. And you can still see the rawness of Ethan um, learning some of the nuances of rugby league because he's he's. I mean, although he's played rugby league in the past, he's also got that strong rugby union background. Mm. And so, um, you know, the, some of the aspects of the responsibility of fullback in rugby league is going to be different to that in rugby union. But he may well have a future as a fullback rather than a winger. Um, and that will be interesting coming through because is Arpa Twidal a fullback or does he have the potential to be in another position? Uh, I think he's, his background might be in the halves. You might be able to correct me on that, um, I, I'd 40. Have to, I'd have to have a, a check in the records, but I'm not sure because I do know that, uh, if I recall correctly, he did have like a bit of a breakout year at fullback in terms of making the transition for us. Um, so yes. uh, I'll have to go back and check where he played. I'm, I've, I've just got that feeling that he's he's he was... Um, Playing in a different position. Twenty twenty two was his first. Queensland. Yeah, twenty twenty two last year was his first year at fullback. Apparently, so uh, yeah. where did he go yeah. from though? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where he moved. Like transition from though. So whether it was from the front line or from like wing. So, but he's made a very clean transition for both last year and for us now. So, very interesting proposition, isn't it? As to where you fit all these players into different positions, and I suppose not immediately. Uh, but in the long term, you, some of it can be eased by pushing one of the players up to cup, uh, depending on what's available there. Uh, but that's not a problem for you know anytime soon. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, have you got any uh, any thoughts you want to add there, Clint? Or um, maybe you might have a bit of few thoughts about uh, what you saw in the New South Wales Cup. Oh. Well, well, we'll get to cup in a second. I'll, I'll just close out with um, with this comment for for Flag. Um, a shout out to Captain Jock Brazel because it seems like uh, you know he's been going up and down from Flagon Cup and upwards sideways um, doing the full 360 for the better part of the last two months. It seems as though any time that he is an inclusion in that flag side, um, they're finding wins at the moment. So um, you know it, it it goes beyond the players that you touched on and some of those moments in that game. It goes to show I think um, the effect that his leadership has at that level. And also goes to show that you know um, we've got a um, we've got another good in there who's who's had the opportunity to, to play up and, and get some more um, senior games and minutes um, in in the cup side. Yeah, um, he had he had a number of interesting conversations with the officials in the um, in that. <laughs> game. Actually, the interesting one was um, I think I can't remember whether it was the first or second try that the Eels scored. And the South Sydney player, in frustration, went to kick the ball away that had been placed down. And in kicking the ball, he's put the boot into the Parramatta player who's on the ground. And as you would expect, the Parramatta players, um, pretty much led by Jock, went charging after the the guilty party. And the... Uh, match officials separated them and, you know, getting them to back away, back away. And 
um, you know, look, nothing serious evolved from there. But when they were heading back into position, the referee called Jock over for a chat about what had just transpired. And he said to Jock, look, he's kicked at the ball. And I think, you know, uh, you know, he, he said he didn't mean to get the player. And he, I think Jock had said, well, look, he did. And he said, look, I know, but you can't, you know, that leave that you need to leave that in my hands. And then Jock said, so is he going off? And, of course, <laughs> referee, referee said no. And, in fact, I'm not even sure if the referee spoke to the offending South player for his action. I think his main concern was was the Parramatta players charging in after the, after the kicking action. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting one. Now, let's – so let's – Rather than looking too much at that match between the new, uh, in the New South Wales Cup between uh, the Eels and the Warriors, because I think it, you know there's enough said in the in the scoreline. Let's go to forty. We'll get you to give your takes on the main selections of note from this week's Teamless Tuesday, and then the flow-on effect that that has then had on the New South Wales Cup because I think that is quite significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Brad Alpha, as expected, has named these uh, trio of New South Wales Origin reps the backup pending their availability due to injury or suspension from tomorrow night's Origin free clash, which means Quentin Gufferson will captain the team from fullback. Uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard goes back in to partner Junior Barlow on the front row. And, of course, Mitchell Moses steers the team from halfback alongside Dejan Arcee. Pushes Sean Russell back to the right wing, which means Isaac Lumi drops out of a team. Otherwise, the back line is unchanged. Uh, in the forward pack, you've got Regan Jr. aforementioned. Brennan hands a dummy half. Then in the back row, one change. Sean Lane, who had a bit of a rough day in his return to NRL duties after a long layoff due to that hamstring injury. He starts on the left, which pushes Andrew Davey back to the interchange. Two uh, backup bookends. Ofiki Ogden and Makahesi Makatoa drop out of a team. And maybe the surprise inclusion for some, but I think he's actually been one of the, I wouldn't say shining lights, but been a real pleasant uh, sort of a developer, is Luca Moretti. He holds his place on the interchange there. So he's the number 14, big bench outside there, Joe Ovengahi, Andrew Davey, Ryan Madison, uh, giving the Eels a four-forward bench with uh, Matto being, the, I suppose, the utility in that regard there. Uh, but yeah, Ogden, Makatoa, they drop out, so does Lumi Lumi which means that the New South Wales Cup team obviously pick up a few reinforcements there, uh, which means that Ogden Makatoa will start alongside Jaden Yates in the Cup. Uh, you got Murchie, Dury, and Rodwell in the back row. Lumi Lumi returns to the right wing. Uh, Dan Keir, the poor man who has been working his backside off as the, uh, I suppose, uh, 5'8". It's a bit of a generous term, but he, he's, done his, he's tried his backside off there. He finally gets out of that duty and go back to playing in the forwards uh, with Zach Sini now stepping in at 5-8. So maybe they'll use him as a bit of a running option from 5-8. But uh, it, the balance of the team is much better this week. Uh, the back line looks much healthier. Samuel Loise, who's also back, to get the Eels a little bit more uh, options out there. He'll play in the centres on the left, I imagine. Uh, but, yeah, the, the forward pack looks a lot better. Ogden, Makatoa, Murchie, Dory, Rodwell is a pretty handy starting pack. On the interchange, you've got Keir, Big Dante Jr., Beth and Misa, Tony Matelli, and Jira Momosia. So four forwards again. Um, but I suppose the bottleneck for this team, as I wrote about in Teamless Tuesday today, 60s, you look at that playmaking core and look, uh, Jordan Rankin, you know, he's the veteran and, and he still does a tidy job. Uh, but we get territory and possession in runs 
and we haven't been able to really convert that for the last you know four or five games, allowing you know not like we've also been playing off the park in, in other areas too, which it's unfair to level just at the spine. Uh, but that does feel like the big bottleneck for this team right now is that we can still put ourselves in positions to score, but we're really struggling to convert those opportunities. Um, we're sort of like hoping for you know either lightning to be you know bottled by someone like uh, Arthur Miller Stephen or you know some opportunistic stuff. So I don't know if we can fix that this week, but the, at least the team does look better across the park from the backs and the forwards. Seems to me like what they really have to address is that when points are scored, they're coming in batches of like three and four tries, one after the mm. other. It's it's um, it's like the, the players' heads go down or they just completely lose focus and intensity and it just seems like the tries are far too easy when they're when they're coming in sequences like that uh clint anything you want to add on either the selections or uh performances of the team yeah look um not not overly but uh, just an extension of the point that you were making there you know that was some of the problems that we experienced in first grade um against the warriors is that you know there, there was that period i think it was around the 20 five minute mark where um you know it was one prior piece at that point and then there was a flurry of points from from the 25 minute mark through to half time and you know um that that flurry of points happened when you know some of the guys who have been um admirably up until that point filling in for our starters and um and and keeping a lot of um winning momentum going in first grade it'd be it's it's both a team issue um, for New South Wales Cup as much as it is the players who um, have vacated the NRL team and going back down to that grade. So it'd be interesting to see the response that happens for New South Wales Cup this week in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we probably spoken about this before, which is what are the options if Brendan Hands gets injured when we have no idea when Josh Hodgson is going to be returning. And there's, of course, a rumour going around that the Eels are chasing a player to return to the club in Joey Lussick. Are you hearing anything or reading anything about this, John? Yeah, I've seen it pop up a few times uh, in the press. And I think, was it Chamis or Carianas that mentioned it on either radio or football or TV? I can't remember. Uh, so it's clearly got some legs. Um, he is contracted to St. Helens, I believe it is. So that yep. they'd be loath to lose a player, uh, you know, especially a, a good player like Joey. But, geez, it'd be a good fit for the club. You know, we, we're very familiar with him. He came in and plugged beautifully into our systems when he was here last time. Uh, when Reed went down in 2021, he r- carried the load magnificently. Uh, and in a way, it was like the almost ideal system dummy half for us, a guy that makes his tackles, gets the ball out cleanly, he can run when the opportunity's there, but isn't going to overcall his half. So that would be a huge get. Um, and then the fact that you could then put him in a rotation with uh, hands and maybe start Lussick and then put hands on the bench because he comes in, goes up tempo, or can cover other positions if something goes wrong, uh, would be huge for the team. Uh, obviously, it's all contingent on St. Helens releasing him, so there's a lot of water to fall under that bridge. But if they don't, there's still options, I think, in the NRL um, I know the Tigers, uh, Simpkins, I think it is, has been told he surplus the requirements. And with uh, uh, Appy back this week, and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the young dummy half there, 60s. We just, we just, oh, spoke, the, silver. the silver. Yeah, on the rise yeah. there. 
there could be opportunities to you know throw him a lifeline uh, at the club. Uh, but yes, it's uh, Lasik would be bar none, almost the perfect fit for us. Uh, doesn't hurt your cap badly. Uh, comes in is familiar with the system, familiar with the players. Has been a good fit before, and yeah, he just you know runs in without losing rhythm. Yeah, he certainly doesn't lack any confidence, does he, Clint? No, not at all. And to, to echo John's sentiments, um, the perfect archetype for us, you know, in terms of the way that our team is set up um, and where our um, our money is um, is managed across our cap um, and, and the style of play that we employ, we don't need a million-dollar hooker. Um, what we really need is, um, to again, to, to echo John's sentiments, is a, is a hooker that will make their tackles, um, can pose a threat, but isn't going to overcall the halves. And Joey Lusick fits that archetype to a T. I am a big supporter of this. You know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've um, in water cooler conversations that I've had over the last year or, or so, um, have said, geez, it would be great to have someone like him on our books still. Um, I absolutely welcome it. I hope it happens. If it doesn't, and, you know, we should get a clearer idea over the next probably 12 hours or so um, once English time sort of catches up where St. Helens' position is and all of this and whether the uh, uh, release is likely. But it's worth noting, guys, you know, the, um, he's only just recently come back into the St. Helens team. I think he had a prominent role in their most recent victory. But he'd spent a couple of weeks out of the side and they, they, they have a youngster there I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but um, they're um, they're earmarking as a natural successor for James Roby, who's obviously long been the hooker there at St Helens. So you know, um, if they have succession plans in in place, and although Joey is contracted there for another year, you know, it, it might give us a little bit of leverage and him a little bit of leverage if it's a move that Joey wants to make um, back to Parramatta as well. So. He's hoping that there's some positive talks over over the next 12, 24 hours, and but if not, you know, as um as as John said, there's um there's some other options in the NRL that we should look to explore and and use to fill that gap before August one. And and hooker is the position that we 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 need to add some depth to because um you know heaven forbid something happens to Brendan Hand at this point. Yeah, we got good stuff in the pipeline, but just no options in the the sort of current uh, frame of the NRL. So yeah, getting Lassie on board or Someone else would be huge. Yeah. Now, uh, we'll just wrap up the Eels news with a couple of things. First of all, the schools championships have been held and we had a number of Eels players in there who performed quite admirably, uh, did did really well. But, of course, the outstanding performance and result came from the Eels' Harold Matthews captain, Josiah Funa Ayuta who was a real star for the Harold Mats this year, and he's now been uh, rewarded for his performances at the championships by being named in the Australian schoolboys team. Uh, probably not too much to add there other than uh, congratulations to him and uh, and also a bit of a shout-out to the, the other boys who were in the championships as well, 40. Yeah, I mean, there was no surprise that Josiah earned selection for the Australian team. Uh, he was an absolute titan for the Eels on the right edge in the Harold Matthews. Uh, physically dominant, big engine, led the way for the team as the captain. Cleaned the pool in the uh, the end of season awards as well. Got best and fairest and players player. Uh, so, you know, he really was the benchmark for that team. And uh, he's going to be a player to watch, obviously, moving forwards when you're in those sort of honours. 
Uh, and the other player that probably deserves a big shout out here was uh, Lockie Konaka, uh, sixties, who uh, did a very good job uh, both at Harold Matthews level and in the Schoolboys Carnival here. So he certainly enhanced his prospects uh, both in and outside the club. There got some attention from the Daily Telegraph, I believe. Uh, and yeah, that's a deserved rap for him because I thought he was really the uh, the real breakout surprise in the Harold Mats this year. He came on big time and was a huge part of that team. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, Tyson Sengeling, he was also uh, involved in the uh, New South Wales um, combined Catholic colleges. And um, and he's no longer with the Eels, but um, uh, Zaitis Mwanga Tutia, mm-hmm. who uh, we believe now will be with the Bulldogs. He as, also as was figuring uh, yeah. in that yeah. So, um, all of those, all of those boys from the Eels Harold Matts team. So, um, shout out to our Harold Matts team, to our coach, the coach Chris Howard as well. Um, on what was a, 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 although they didn't get the title, it was a quite a, a strong season for them this year. Um, Clint, anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, largely just congratulations. You know. Um... These honors are, um, you know, are, they're, they're, they're not light honors. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty hard to get to the stage that a lot of these guys get to. And then to um, subsequently get these type of honors, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's something special, you know. And, and it's also um, a, a, a very good um, barometer of, of the trajectory of their um, young careers as, as rugby league players at this point. So, you know, all I can say is congratulations, keep up the good work. And, yeah, um, we hope to we hope to see them continue to flourish throughout systems. Yeah, I should also mention that the development squads have been playing games at uh, during the school holidays. It obviously works in well for them, uh, both at uh, Parramatta Marist and up at Kellyville. I think the um, the Tigers and the Roosters have been the opponents in some of these uh, trial matches. I think there's some more matches uh, tomorrow. Might just about wrap it up. I, look, I would. I had planned on getting to those uh, games during the uh, school holiday break. Unfortunately, I've had a few circumstances that have come up that have made that impossible. But uh, just a shout out to all the um, all the young people that are taking part in those games and wearing the Eels jerseys. Keep up the good work there, and good luck with your. Um, pathways journey from here on in and i'm just going to finish the eels news segment with a bit of somber news that we did mention in the instant reaction podcast over in jack's bar and grill in Parramatta leagues on saturday night but it we sadly have to mention the passing of eels player number 146 matt johnson matt played with the eels from 1955 to 1964 162 club games 67 first grade games 71 reserve grade games, 24 third grade games. In 1964, he was part of Eels history when he was the captain of the Eels third grade team who won the first ever Eels graded premiership win. And uh, he was also, from a personal uh, personal point of view, he was the 1960... He won the award in 1960 for the most consistent player. So that was... I guess they're the version of the best and fairest back then. Um, in the years since, you'd always find Matt at Parramatta Games. 
He was a massive supporter of the, of the club, um, got involved as well with former player associations. He was a big part of the Blue and Gold Alliance. He's going to be missed by many people for his presence around the club and just a, a lifetime of, of devotion to the Parramatta Reels. So to his family, his friends, all the many people who knew Matt Johnson, uh, we extend our deepest sympathies and, yes, he will be missed. Fellas, uh, that just about wraps up our Eels news. Now we're going to go move on to the NRL. And, uh, of course, the the main part of NRL this week, well, if, you, if we can call it NRL because it's actually run by the state um, bodies, but it's state of origin. And we've all given our thoughts on what's been transpiring in the way of team selections. We've all come to the conclusion that Freddie's selections and tactics uh, make about as much sense as a Daryl Summers TV career. And um, <laughs> so we go into tomorrow night. I guess all that's left for us is to, is to give our tips on this and maybe any, any final words on it. Um, I mean, I guess there's not too much more can say we can say when Brad Fitler said that he doesn't really have a plan around Clint Gutherson. It's he's basically there in case uh, a back gets injured, and I guess he's been straightforward and honest there with that. Our our captain missed the game, and he he might be lucky to get any minutes on the field. I will tell you what, I'm going to do. I, I'm going to tip that the. Queensland wins by 12 points, but I am going to be cheering very, very loudly for uh, the New South Wales team because, number one, it's got some Eels players in the team, and number two, I'm a Blues supporter, so I want to see the Blues win. I hope I'm horribly wrong with what the result is going to be. Uh, I want the Blues to win, tipping a, a Queensland win by about 12 points. Fellas, your thoughts? I'll let Quint go first. Yeah, look, uh, I'm, I'm not too dissimilar to you. I see a, a, maybe a little bit more of a narrow margin, an 8-10 to, eight to ten point victory. I think it'd be a little bit um, uh, uh, tight there in New South Wales to valiantly try to put um, a little bit more respectability in the series, but still to ultimately fall short. However, I will tip our Eels boys to shine in the New South Wales efforts. Yeah. Yep. I, my heart says I want New South Wales to do well because of the presence of all the Parramatta boys. But I look at this contest, and I, I can't see anything but a big Queensland win. Uh, they look hungry, focused, disciplined. Billy Slater's is running that team really well. And compared to the comical circumstances of New South Wales, going from the pre-selection process right through to the coach not knowing what to do with one of the players he picked. Um, and, and God help the podcast, you will say from an almighty tirade, if uh, Spencer Lenu had been picked... Um, from 18th man to replace Quinton Gufferson, um, I would have unleashed an ungodly rant on the podcast. The fact that we would lose Quinton Gufferson to a non-playing game uh, would have made me very, very upset. Uh, but as it is, still very frustrated. But yeah, I hope our boys do well, and I hope that they can lead us to a win. But I, I just can't see any result by Queensland and Queensland by a comfortable margin. I think if that situation had of eventuated 40 we would have had to have 
presented a special edition of the podcast uh, big because time. I'm sure the, the three of us would it, have been on a rant. I, I, I kid you not, it, it would have led to a, like a game-changing precedent being set about or a play selection availability if Freddie had pulled that. and the Because that game that we lost against the Warriors, and I'm not saying that having Gufferson would have completely changed the result, but there's no doubt he makes a huge difference to our team. That, that result might end up changing the ladder significantly at the end of the round, uh, the regular competition. And the fact that we would have got darted out of our captain and fullback uh, would have been crazy. So the fact that they even entertained that idea uh, is alarming, but it speaks volumes about the New South Wales hierarchy at the moment. I was you know, ready to, already ready to unleash gents. You know, <laughs> I've, 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 I had the gun loaded and was going to tear the, um, the hidden machinations of uh, Greg Alexander and Brad Fittler apart for wanting to, even attempting to... Um, to um, affect our team in such a way had such events transpired. So, you know, um, I guess we could we, we, we could say lucky for them. Um, they've uh, they thought otherwise and they, have, they haven't further entertained that idea. But um, I'm, I'll, I'll be stroking the gun come come around <laughs> Origin 1 next year still, gents. I'm, I'm sitting there on the porch front like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I like it. Well, you know, I'm hopeful that one of our listeners can come up with the answer to this because there was it's not exactly the same but there was an origin match in the early 80s maybe Ron Willie was the New South Wales coach Steve Ella was selected I'm I've got a feeling it was at 58 it, um, it may have been sent I just had a feeling it was 58 anyway on the day of the match he swapped Ella with, I believe it was Alan Thompson from Manly, so that Ella just went to the bench. And I can't even remember how much game time Steve Ella got. But anyway, maybe there are so – we've got some listeners out there who are either prepared to do the research or it's more clear in their mind exactly what happened. But I can remember being furious with that because I was pumped for – seeing how, you know, an Eels player went and the fact that the coach swapped it out. And I'm pretty sure that back in those days, it was the team was selected not by the coach, but by a, a group of selectors. And it was, to me, it was just stunning that the the coach made that change on the day of the match. But anyway, we move forward. I put this into the podcast tonight because it came up on... 360. It was uh, based on some work that had come out of some stats that had come out of Fox Sports about the short dropout, and I thought it was quite interesting because we've seen what a phenomena it's become. So I just paid attention to the the last two years rather than going back three years. But last year there'd been an increase in the number of short dropouts that were taken, so that there were for the season there were 98. Um, short dropouts that were taken and that was 22% of the total number of line dropouts that were forced and of that 32 were retained by the kicking team which was 33%. That's that's not a bad return there like to get a third of the dropouts back. Um, this year it's it's increased quite dramatically so far this is so far 
there have been 188 short dropouts that have been taken, which is 50% of the total number of dropouts that have been forced. Now, of that, 53 have been retained. Now, that's a drop in percentage down to 28% have been retained, but it's still sort of around that 30% mark. But the the game has changed enough because of those dropouts to see quite a number of teams running it on the last and not even always trying to force something on the last, but even being prepared to turn the ball over in the corner and just say to the opposition team, okay, now you bring it out two metres off your line and see how far you can get in this set of six. If, uh What's, what's your thoughts, Clint, on what's been transpiring in with, with regard to short dropouts and then now, conversely, how that's affecting the kicking game of teams? Well, look, you know, even though it's 5% difference year on year, I don't think it's um, particularly material in terms of... Um, in terms of what it means, you know, the, obviously it's increased significantly and there's a much greater sample size that shows, you know, as, as you said, it's around that 30% um, retention on short dropouts. But, you know, um, for the teams that have players that are skilled at this, it's it, it would be interesting to see the breakdown in terms of success by team or by players yes. um, taking absolutely. it. Um, absolutely. Li- I absolutely agree that. there. Yep. Yep. I'd love to see that too. Because it would, I, I'm sure there's someone out there who probably has that information, or um, you know, maybe maybe if we all wake up in a good mood, we might see seek it out ourselves tomorrow. But um, you know, it's um, it's become a skill into and of itself, and you know, it, it's it's kind of like the I, I might call it the renaissance of the competitive scrum, except it's it's just gone into a different part um, part of the game, and you know. Um, Kicking for the better part of the last 30 years of rugby league has been a skill that's um, improved um, as we've gone through the years and, and more and more players are becoming more skilled at it and creating opportunities for, um, um, for uh, largely in try scoring um, situations, but also in terms of um, controlling possession and field position. And this is just yet another tool in that arsenal. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very big on a style of rugby league that controls um, field position and limits the amount of time the opposition has with the ball. And given that this has now come into the game, to, to answer your second question, 60s, I'm more than happy to turn the ball over a metre, two metres out in the corner. If that means I get, you know, <laughs> you hear it across some um, rugby league grounds um, all over the country every every week. It, it still makes me chuckle even after after many, many years of of, of um, watching rugby league, um, you know the, the free hit call that comes off a tap or uh, or um, from a penalty or, or from um, a turnover of possession inside the red zone, and when the opposition has to try and um, and and carry it out of their red zone, free hit, free hit. Um, you know, but um, you know, jo- jokes aside, it, it really allows the opportunity for the team who's just been um, attacking the line if they haven't succeeded in scoring to apply pressure the other side of the ball. So, you know, it's it's sustained pressure for the team that's defending um, their try line to then have to try and um, carry it in and out of their, out of their 20. And, you know, normally it's only um, if, if you can somehow get a quick play of the ball and, and, and a fast carry out of that, that's generally the only way out of that scenario. So, you know, for the teams, it, it allows, and I said, I like to 
play control. You know, if I'm, co I'm coaching a side, I like to um, I like to see them um, control field position. If you're turning it over in 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 that field position, you know, two three meters out, um, it it really allows you to dictate the um the course of play for probably the next five to ten minutes if you if you're able to sustain that pressure. You know, provided you're not giving away any penalties or or, or making any mistakes. So, you know, um, it's 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 a double whammy when it comes to the the um, um, the short dropout. Um, you know, in in that if you're if you're a side that's worried about the opposition who can um, or does have good control over the short dropout, that you'd rather just turn it over um, because that's more of a controllable um, than 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 you do so. So. Yeah, it, it's an interesting evolution that's come into our game. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall, gents, maybe one of you might know off the top of your head where we really sort of started to see it become um, part of the game. And when someone, you know, who, who was the first person to pull the trigger and go, you know what, stop it. We, got, we, we reckon we're an even money chance of getting this back. Let's, let's see how we go. Because teams these days are a lot more confident defending their own fire line than they are 20, 30 metres out. Um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 can either of you recall who, who it was I mean, that sort the, of started the, that? I think maybe the metagame influencers would have been the Walker brothers up in the QRL going back a fair mm. bit now. But uh, I think, if I recall correctly, and I could be wrong about this, I think maybe it might have been the Bulldogs when they were, uh, I don't know which coach it was. Was it Barrett? Was it... Uh, maybe Pay? Maybe Pay, uh, where they were a little bit, you know, devil may care because they were pretty ordinary and figured they might as well start trying to get possession back. Um, uh, you know, but there's a lot of game theory with short dropouts. I'm a big, big fan of it because there's a lot of layers mm. in terms of the, the statistics of it, but you're weighing essentially uh, the uh, expected points the opposition will score on a normal dropout versus that of a short dropout, right? Uh, and where the break even is and then the opportunity to get possession back. Uh, so you, you've got multiple factors sort of intersecting there. And I, I think the opportunity cost of a short dropout uh, makes a lot of sense to go for it. Um, yeah, you can give away a penalty. Yeah, they're going to get uh, possession on your goal line. But like you said, Quint, a lot of teams prefer to defend on the goal line because you you can use the sideline much more aggressively in defense. And, you can uh, drop a marker off as well. Yeah, you drop a marker off, so you're um, negating the, the positional disparity in terms of the, the man advantage. Uh, so there's a, a lot to like there. Um, and yeah, I know that a lot of the oldies hate it. Um, just before recording, I think NRL tonight had a spot on. And that's where the stats came from. I think 60 is always one of the outlets. And uh, he he despised the idea of the short dropout. Um, and that, that, does, that doesn't surprise me. That, you know, it's a very old school mentality there. And uh, it, this is very much new school stuff. And like I said, I think that the game theory suggests that you should always go short dropout just about. Unless there is like some incredibly specific or niche game situation where for whatever reason you don't want them near the goal line. Um, but even like even kicking along these days where there might be a field goal in play, the two-point field goal is now an option as well for certain things. You got to be. There might even be a game situation where you you deliberately don't want to kick long, because you can give an option for a two-point field goal rather than you know the one-point field goal. So I don't know. Yeah, mm. there's also there's also a lot of teams feel that they can defend a lot better ten meters out from yeah, the line. Exa than exactly, exactly. 20, 30 meters out from their line. Uh, the other thing too, um, I think we probably did see start to see that surge of it in in twenty twenty one, which is why those. Stats were presented on NRL tonight. Um, I'll tell you who I remember uh, back to um, as, a, as a coach throwing this out there, um, not all the time, but maybe a bit more than usual, was Brian Smith. And he had um, 
uh, Parramatta chants in their hand from time to time, especially in 2001. Like we, we <laughs> chanced out a few times in that year. But um, anyway, we, uh, we move on. A couple of other bits and pieces around the place. Uh, the uh, Josh Reynolds retirement. Uh, I, I guess you can say that he's always been a passionate Bulldog. The thing that's surprising was that it was only really seven years at the Bulldogs before. It felt like it was longer. So, um, you know, he's, I, I guess he's one of those players that just wished he never left the the club that he felt most comfortable at. And maybe that's a lesson to players out there about, you know, stay with your heart because you often play your best football where your heart's in it. So um, anything you wanted to add to that, boys? Oh, well done on a good career, you know. I mean, um, he's an Origins Series winning half. Um, you know, uh, there in 2014 and, um, you know, um, certainly one of the characters of the game as well. You know, he's, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it is strange to say seven years. I, I agree, Sixties. It does feel like he's been with the Bulldogs and around, um, around Belmore a lot longer than that. But, um, you know, I think he played in two grand finals as well. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately wasn't able to win one, but, um, you know, it's it's a pretty solid rugby league career. It's better than what most get. So, um, and on 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 top of um, some of those accolades, um, as I said he's a, he's a character of the game. You know, I'm sure there'll be many Bulldogs fans who um, you know will be wishing him the best in retirement. And he's much loved down there. It's it's, it's appropriate that his final professional game, albeit it'll probably be in New South Wales Cup, um, is taking place at Belmore. Yep, uh, absolutely, John. Uh, well, cumulatively, I felt like he should have spent about a year suspended for tripping, but I don't think he served a single game. Um, <laughs> but, but in saying that, uh, he always brought plenty of energy to the ga- the teams he was on, whether it was the Dogs or Tigers or in the ASL. Uh, and I-, I will say this: he's one of those players that you probably love to have on your on your squad or in your squad. Um, he's just you know a whole ball of energy. He just brings a lot of uh, you know good vibes, I suppose, to then. And from what I've heard, both from my, my family directly and, and from other people, apparently he's a pretty good bloke off the field too. So, um, look, th- there was a, a minor controversy about him retiring to help the dogs free up a top 30 spot. Um, in, in the in the big picture of cap rorting and, and even specifically the Bulldogs, which we'll talk about shortly, um, I don't think there's too much in it. You know, I think someone like Reynolds, uh, I, if he's going to hang up the boots for the club he loves, I think you, just, you let... Pardon the pun, but sleeping dogs lie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, and uh, speaking of interesting signings, we've had Matt Lodge now go to Manly on a train and trial. Well, I mean, that's the terminology that's been used, but essentially that means he signed a second-tier contract to go to Manly. So they, of course, can use anyone outside the top 30 at this time of the year. So maybe that's playing the system just a little bit to yeah. be getting yeah. someone who's on on huge kind. coin on um on zero basically zero money. Um, well, yeah. the particulars of his NRL contract will be fascinating if we could get them publicly because are the Warriors still paying for him? Are the Roosters paying for him? What, did he actually get a full on release from the contract? Like was it was it a mutual release and he was a free agent? I I don't know. Yeah. Um, because yeah, yeah there, there's there, that is pretty important to stipulate the differences there. Um, but who's yeah. his manager? 
I could not tell you off the top of my head. I'll see if Is I it can... Isaac Moses? Uh, <laughs> he is. I don't know. Or Moses' company is maybe maybe he was Moses, yeah. Yeah, I'm never sure of how up to date. Yeah, maybe he was was. because I do I do recall there was some discourse in the media on like maybe on 360 talking about how the fallout from the Joseph Swaliki stuff was also related to Matt Lodge or something, Uh, maybe. So that that Uh, might be my memory being fuzzy. I don't know, but yeah. Is there something going on over at Manly with with um? Isaac with Moses? a particular player manager starting to get a bit of influence there. That's do you think? that's been another thing they've talked about on three sixty. Um, I mean, I suppose you could not make the argument that given the pool of player managers available, at some point there's going to be a manager that just has a you know more of his uh, rostered players at a certain club. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something to it. Maybe there isn't. Um, player managers in general just have so much power in the game, don't they? Uh, you know when. There's a limited amount of them, and they control all the superstars and all the young kids. Um, but yeah, mm. that's, that that is how it is. Well, I guess uh, it's a matter of watch this space. If uh, if that does eventuate that it is um, Isaac Moses, whether it's something that it becomes a topic on any of those particular cha- um, talk shows on Fox. Uh, finally, fellas, we saw the. Could we say attempted rort? I mean, the controversy is basic, like blew up even more tonight. Well, from last night, where Phil Gould denied that there'd been any approach from the Bulldogs or from uh, Laundy with regard to uh, an offer to Tino Fasua Malaawi that involved the uh, share investment in the hotels. Um, Phil Rothfield is adamant that he got the information both from other clubs who had pulled out of negotiations with um, Tino and also from uh, Mr Laundy himself, who detailed what he was going to be offering uh, Tino or had offered Tino in the way of uh, that the, the shares that were uh, guaranteed. A guaranteed return. So, sort of like an Aberdeen I mean, this like this, this, this two completely different controversies going on here. Because first of all, you've got the situation where that's a straight out rort because it's a it's a club sponsor saying we're prepared to help you mm. invest in our business uh, as an enticement for a player to come. I mean, it's just str- like it. It's so bold, it it defies logic. It's and and then of course we, you know, we have journos who are quite prepared to say as um, it, because I think um, maybe it was I can't remember it might have been Rothfield that said we need more people like Laundy in rugby league <laughs> who are prepared to do these sorts of things. And I'm thinking, am I am I going mad? Did I just hear we need more people in rugby league that are looking to rot the system? Yeah, and then they were talking about how 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 that sort of deal could be could be fair, like him and Brent Reed. How that sort of deal is or could be made fair, and how we shouldn't be dragging down the top clubs. We should be pushing the bottom clubs up. And I'm thinking, but it's the I, I how is breaking rules or bending rules meant to be 
helping anyone. <laughs> like you, you don't want people like that in the in the NRL, surely. And and then, of course, as I said, it's a twofold thing because now the next controversy is Phil Gould's gone the on the attack on a hundred percent footy, and he's absolutely smashed into into Phil Gould uh, into um, into Rothfield. He's had a crack at Chamus as well uh, across the room from him in the in that show, but he's really gone both barrels at Rothfield. Said Rothfield, basically, I think he's he's accused Rothfield of inventing it for um, for personal reasons and for a, a grudge against Canterbury and him. And Rothfield's just tonight gone. You know what? I've got all the notes from the phone conversations, and this happened. He kept the receipts um, for once. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, like as I said, there's a controversy on two levels. I mean, where do you where do you begin to unpack this? It's just, um, I mean, to me, it's it's a, a diabolical attempt at a rort. Mm-hmm. And then, secondly, someone's bold faced lying wow. here. Is it Rothfield or is it Gould? Uh, this whole thing, I will say from the start, has big. Uh... Is it was it a naked gun? Steve Martin, nothing to see here. While the building's blowing up in the background, sort of uh, energies here. Um, there, there is clearly you know something very untoward going on in terms of salary cap rorting here, and the fact that the NRL aren't going to press the matter, and the fact that Gould is bold, either boldface lying or Rothfield is you know completely fabricating stuff, and he reckons he's got the receipts. So you know if the guy is willing to put all the receipts out, then I'm going to back him. Um, yeah, there there is something. And we talk about all the time, but catastrophically wrong with the way the salary cap is monitored. Um, and I think Laundy at one point in his uh, transcripts of uh, Rothfield came out and made it something a state along the effects of he just wanted to help out the small clubs so they can compete with signings compared to the big clubs. We talking about the Bulldogs that just signed Matt Burton, Josh Adokar, Tavita Pungai Jr., Viliama Kika, Reed Marnie, uh, uh, the bloke from the English Super League, Stephen Crichton, like. Uh, I'm sorry, what what signing problems do you have compared to the big clubs? You've been the market shakers for like the last three years. Uh, that's not your problem for yeah. not winning games. Um, but yeah, the fact that uh, they're quite clearly trying to rot the cap and nothing's going to come of it, you know, just speaks volumes to where the game is in terms of uh, trans, uh, transparency with, you know, this sort of stuff. But it's something we've spoken about many times. You go back through the history of salary cap scandals, including Parramatta's own dance with the... Uh, uh, NRL Integrity Unit and, and the salary cap auditors. All of it has either been whistleblowers or the club coming to the NRL to uh, face up to their own crime, saying, hey, we're, we've made a big mistake here. Uh, we'd rather take it to you guys rather than getting caught. Uh, the NRL don't want to catch cheaters. It's like so obvious right now. It always has been, rather. Yeah, well, you would think that as soon as that's been said, and I loved your Frank Drebin, uh, Leslie Neil. It was Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen, not yeah, Steve Leslie Martin. Yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. But your Frank Drebin um, analogy there. <laughs> yeah. um, but wouldn't you think, right? As soon as this has come out, if you're an NRL auditor, you're going. I think I need to go and pay a visit to the Bulldogs. <laughs> yeah. I think I might need to review the the contracts that they've got there at the moment. Forget this proposed one. They've got other those other big deals that have happened. Let, let's let's have a close look at that. Let's have a look at the um, what whatever the personal finances are of some of these players that have just come across. Mm-hmm. Because you know we were informed that there was a, a, a 
last-minute increase in the contract offer to Reed Marnie when the Eels were were coming up with a bit more money to try to keep Reed Marnie, and then there was just that much more that was offered to him from the Bulldogs that they couldn't compete. That's that's as we were informed. Well, so whether that's the case or not, we don't know. But that was the that was the speculation that was that was out there. So, I mean, like have the have the Bulldogs shot themselves in the foot with this or as you say 40 are the nrl just not interested in doing a genuine dig into what's happening there at the club yeah i I think that the nrl the bulldogs rather have made a massive blunder and did shoot themselves in the foot but the the way the nrl works means that they won't really pay for it um because like you said the moment this came out it should have sent off red flags and klaxons and sirens in the integrity unit and the salary cap auditing unit in the NRL saying, hang on, this does not add up. This smells real funky. Uh, but nope, <laughs> we're, we're not seeing anything and, and we're, you know, having called, you know, call out journos like, you know, almost ridiculously on uh, a public platform. So, yeah, uh, th- this is one area of the game where I'm, I'm very cynical and have lost a lot of, uh, lost a lot of faith in the game itself. But, you know, and like, like I said, the Eels have been guilty of it too. It's not like me, you know, being holier than thou. The Eels have absolutely been guilty here. Uh, but the fact that the NRL are incapable of catching uh, anyone just, like, intrinsically just speaks volumes to what the the sort of mission statement is. So I expect nothing to come from this. Um, I don't think they'll sign Tino, uh, but I don't think they'll be punished for making a, a very obvious blunder as well. Well, Clint, do you see basically what um, Forty described, uh, nothing to see here, will be the result? Oh, it'll absolutely be the result. But, you know, um, uh, uh, as fans of the wider game, we should absolutely not expect the um, the mantra of um, pissing down our back and telling us it's rain. Because um, that's exactly what it feels like when you have the journalists um, in the immediate um, try to suggest that, a deal like that could be possible. Uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, you know, and 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 trying to trying to do it from the angle and perspective of fighting for the little guy. Why they're the little guy because they've been at the bottom of the table for yeah, because because they're the, the little guy now. And then if you're allowed to do that in like the space of twelve months, they're going to be the big dogs forever. Like yeah, exactly, the whole... exactly right. That's how quickly it shifts. And it's it's not as though um, Canterbury is short of resources. They've got a very wealthy lease club. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they, they 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 just haven't been managed well from a roster perspective mm-hmm. for for a period of time. And then they they pulled the trigger on on um, on firing coaches way too soon into their tenure. There's just it's just a lack of patience and a, la- a lack of planning. That's really um, you know and, and emotional responses. Um, to those situations that's been Canterbury's problem. That, that entire conversation that you're articulating, Quinn, about what the journos sort of parlayed is it's essentially tantamount to the MLB cap, which is there is no cap. Clubs spend whatever they want, uh, whether they want to be stingy as hell and just rake in membership and sponsorship, uh, membership and uh, merch money and sort of milk the fans for their uh, loyalty, or you want to be, you know, the New York Yankees, the LA Dodgers, and spend essentially triple, quadruple, five times other people's. Uh, salary caps and that that's a sort of parody you can imagine what sort of parody you get in baseball but that's the sort of parody you're going to get where uh you know a handful of clubs uh, not, not only do they just only win the premiership but they only have a competitive um that 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 is a natural path for what those journals are talking about if you're going to allow that sort of thing to be predicated in the nrl um mm. 
Yeah, and it's the same well, in European football. Yeah, as well. e- exactly. Right. It, it 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 is literally trickle down economics in sports. Uh, yep. So, yeah, I, I am not. I, I like the NRL salary cap model compared to other codes in the in the world. Um, I like I said the the lack of commitment to actually trying to police it is frustrating from my perspective. But uh, even so, with the lack of policing, we still have one of the most competitive and uh, parity driven uh, competitions in the world. And yeah, there's going to be teams that suck for prolonged periods. But like we've discussed, a lot of that is due starting to the front office uh, issues mm. where you've got bad boards, bad CEOs, bad leadership there. So I'd, I'd rather the NRL prioritise getting that stuff fixed rather than, you know, opening, absolutely. Up, opening absolutely up these insane there, cap John. discussions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and just to finish things off, fellas, um, final thoughts about the RLPA's uh, match day media ban. Forty and I spoke about it coming into the round as part of the preview podcast because the as as is typically the case, the big news broke between <laughs> podcasts. Um, They're good. So we know how to do it. it. We, yep. So we did include it as part of the preview podcast. Our thoughts on it, and we both said that the uh, RLPA had had actually been was treading quite lightly in this uh, as the chosen industrial action because it wasn't really impacting on the fans at all, despite what the media were saying. The media were were saying that they'd um, essentially treated the fans with disdain, with disrespect, that it was, it was punishing the fans for the, for what was going on. And I mean, we, we both took the, the uh, position that how is a few comments on match day impacting us as fans. Like mm. the matches are going ahead. The premiership's going ahead. The the media through the week promoting the games is going ahead. It, it's minor. It The only people it seems to be affecting is really the host broadcasters or associated media around the host broadcasters. Mm. I, I I think it's it's been quite a, a gentle approach as far as, well, Maybe not gentle is not the right word, but I think they've. The, I actually think that the RLPA has taken the fans into consideration with this mm. chosen act. Um, so the weekend has just come and gone. As far as I'm concerned, nothing's changed my mind on on that. I was at the game, so there was zero impact on me at the game. Mm-hmm. Like I missed yep. nothing by being at the game. As far as what was on TV, if I missed a few pre-match, um, half-time walking off the field or post-match comments, <laughs> it, I, I didn't feel it. So well, could, anyone feel you, any differently? No, I mean, we were all, all at the game on, on Saturday. But, you know, maybe maybe we put it out to people to, to add in the comments who, who watched um, televised. Did you, did you actually miss a half-time comment with a player struggling to catch their breath and and uh, reorientate themselves after and spit 40 out, minutes spit of one rugby of, league. One of any 100 rugby league truisms. Like, yeah, I, I don't think so. Oh, exactly right. You know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's um, rugby league cliche bingo when it comes to <laughs> <Yep>. that. <laughs> like, like that, 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 that's what they play. Like, surely the, the um, journalists who, um, given the remit by their broadcasting employers, asking those questions and conducting those, those uh, halftime Thirty-second interviews with players know exactly what they're going to get and don't want to do it. Um, 
I personally don't see any value in it. The players themselves don't like it. You know, Sean Lane and Jermaine Hopgood were jerking it on the on the Eels um, podcast last week, and that they, you know, they don't ever really know what's going on or really care to do it. Um, likewise, I don't think it adds any particular value. Why are we all kidding ourselves? <laughs> I mean, I think the real reason the media is blowing up is that they're almost like a proxy, right? Because they're, mm. they're aligned more to the governing body than to the players, even though the players are the product. Um, the, the media work a lot closer with the actual governing body than the players. So I think that's a big factor there, and hence the, uh, the faux outrage you know, being driven up to hysterical Which levels. is exactly what it is. Yeah. Exactly what it is. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think in terms of the actual brouhaha, I don't think a storm in a teacup even qualifies here. Like we said, 60s, this is very much... Uh, hitting the NRL for feather duster in terms of uh, industrial action, and and if they're grieving, if they feel the conviction, in their grievances, and and listening to Quentin Newton and, and sort of some of the stuff they're laying out, I, I don't think they're being unreasonable in, in what they're trying to stipulate uh, to really dot the i's and cross the t's and have a voice in in regards to uh, player welfare with games played in the season, trying to put a cap on that with the expansion coming to the NRL, uh, the future fund and and sort of pensions for players that get injured. Uh, allocation of NRLW resources, all those things are very reasonable and and like equal stand equal in stature to the actual overall value of the NRL salary cap. So the fact that they're really trying to get this ironed out, I don't blame them. Uh, and like I said, if it comes to having to stand down uh, games, whether it's this year or or next year, um, if it gets to that point, I can understand it. And yes, it sucks as a fan, uh, but this this is important for them. So. I can understand where they're coming from, and yeah, I, I would be upset as a fan not to see games, but not as someone that you know sees where they're coming from. One final bit of news that I just wanted to throw to you, gents, that's uh, broken in the last couple of days is um, ten teams have expressed their interest in going to Vegas um, for round one next year. Uh, the Parramatta not were not one of these teams. Me personally, I'm happy with this and i say that with the caveat that i've got family that lives very close to vegas and um there's a natural bias in me wanting to go there but (laughs) i personally am glad the club doesn't have an inclination at this particular point to go uh i wanted to throw to you to close us off um in today's podcast gents what were your thoughts on vegas Uh, i might start with you 40. yeah i mean uh, obviously we've spoken uh both neutrally with you quinn and also uh, with a special guest, Ron, in America about the viability of the NRL as a product in America. And, and I don't mind the NRL exploring that uh, in a serious means, but I am also very happy that the Eels aren't part of the inaugural wave of, of teams going over there. We've got our hands full of the home game being taken to Darwin and the logistics behind that and how much it can impact the season. Uh, I, I don't really care for the team getting bogged down on a uh, like a two-week, I suppose even like you could even build as like a junket in a way, Mm. Uh, to Las Vegas and and what that could do to your season in terms of getting used to time zones, the long flight, uh, playing uh, on turf that could lead to a high risk of uh, turf toe and a few other things. Uh, playing on that on the surfaces over there is not the same as playing on the natural grass in Australia. They use synthetic or artificial in a lot of places. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors there, and, and right now I'm just happy that we aren't involved. As much as I do love American sports and the idea of Australia breaking in there for the NRL, yeah. Oh, and as 60s? for me, yeah, 
as far as I'm concerned, I agree with what Forty said so far in terms of we've had enough on our plate with taking things up to Darwin. But even aside from that, if you look at the first year, there's going to be lessons learnt from the first year. Mm. Now, you have to assume that what's going to happen is that every if this is going to be an ongoing venture, every club is going to get their opportunity. I would much rather be amongst the clubs that get their opportunity after some lessons have been learnt and it's done really well. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't be done well the first time, but you know that it won't be done as well as it could possibly be when it's the first time going there. You know that if it's if it's working, if it's I mean if it doesn't work for a start, then there's nothing lost. If it is something that is going to work, it's going to be better the more often that you go there. So either it doesn't work and there's nothing lost or it does work and you're better off going when any kinks are ironed out and it's as smooth as possible process and that you start to maximise whatever benefits there are for the NRL or for the individual club. So I have no problem with with the Eels not putting their hands up to be the, the first ones. And look, the same thing happened with the NRLW, didn't it? Parramatta said they weren't ready to mm. be one of the first clubs. Parramatta is now a significant member of the NRLW. We weren't the first, but we weren't the last. So um, I would suggest that, you know, we've, we probably took our lessons uh, from, you know, how we've gone with those, those sorts of ventures. And, uh, yeah, I have no problem with the decision whatsoever. So um, yeah, it's a very measured approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I and I think and I think that's I think supporters should be grateful of that as well. So look, if it if it all goes ahead, it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. It seems like it's all going to go ahead for this first year. So yeah, it will be very new, and we'll see what comes of it and how they are able to market and promote it. Not only in the first year, but then in the subsequent years, and to be part of that. Has the NRL uh, going? made any discussions about the time, so the actual game time slots, about where they'll be played. Are we going to cater towards the American market or cater towards the Australian market for podcasting? I believe, I believe, I I don't know about the time slots, but I think those games will take place um, not in that same weekend as the round one. So it will be like a pre-round one that the those matches take place, which then gives the teams time to travel and get back and then settle for round two, yeah, as I understand. As someone that watches a lot of NFL, uh, you know, the, the time slots range from uh, 3 o'clock in the morning through to 12 o'clock p.m. Uh, sort of kickoffs, depending on whether you're East Coast, West Coast, uh, whether you're mm. playing morning game or evening primetime game. And obviously Las Vegas occupies the westmost time slot in America. So, um, you know, I, yeah. I follow the Seattle Seahawks. Before 12 a.m. now um, yeah. at, at time of recording. So, Yeah, exactly. So I I, um, I follow the Seattle Seahawks, and if they get a primetime game uh, in America, that means it's going to be like an 11.30 p.m., 12, 12 o'clock p.m. kick uh, – sorry, 11.30 a.m., 12 o'clock p.m. kickoff in Australia uh, or – earlier depending on what slot they get so 
if you're catering towards the American audience, which you assume you'd need to in order to get people into the stadium, uh, it means there's going to be some very awkward broadcast slots back in Australia. Um, so you'd probably have to make sure it's on a weekend in Australia, which means uh, we're a day ahead of them. Uh, so you need to be playing... Uh, Friday night yeah. is probably yeah. the prime spot. Yeah, so yeah, Friday, so, Friday night American time. Yeah, um, that probably that probably works there. You'll come out Friday night football for sure. Yeah, which is yeah, a, yeah, our sad day. Well, fellas, talk about a, a chocker block episode again from all all the aspects of the what's been happening in in power through to all these topics on the NRL. I mean, each of them could probably be almost a podcast in itself, especially some of the things that are going on around the NRL. But we are now at the end of this podcast. Thank you, fellas, for your input tonight. Thank you to our sponsors, which is Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. The, the support is fantastic. Thank you also to our listeners for getting onto the podcast on a regular basis. If you're watching this slash listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe because it helps all the metrics and helps our channel to grow. So uh, can I encourage you to do that? And uh, we'll be speaking to you again in the preview podcast in a couple of days' time. And until then, go you mighty eels. <laughs>